Welcome to another episode of the Meat and One Veg podcast with me, Heathen and walking food wanker Simon Carlo. A man so incredibly stupid that in the last week I've managed to set fire to my t-shirt whilst wearing it, lose my life belongings on a train, and overdose on matcha tea. Matcha tea, by the way, might well be my new drug of choice. Before that, it was drugs. Today's episode is typically full on assault of food and drink. We have Brum's newest starred restaurant and more cocktails using cupboard crap. Excuse me if this podcast is a tiny bit late, when we were supposed to be recording it last week, food critic came into town and I decided to meet him in Weatherspoons. we got incredibly drunk on Martini, and then went for dinner where we drank several bottles of wine. In order to preserve his identity, I won't say his name, but it sounds a little like Don Mark Goals. First up is David Taylor of Grace and Savour. Grace and Savour is the area's latest Michelin-starred restaurant, set within the beautiful walled gardens of Hampton Manor. We speak about the Michelin ceremony, him getting starstruck by other chefs, and what food trends you can expect in 2050. We are in uh, Grace and Savour within Hampton Manor, and joined by uh, David Taylor, the uh, the head chef. How are you? Uh, doing alright, thanks. Yeah, doing good, thanks. Yeah. Congratulations on the Michelin star. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been uh, quite a year and uh, an emotional roller coaster, but um, I couldn't be more proud of everything we've, as a team, what we've done and achieved in this first year. It's just been overwhelming and, yeah, very proud. So, uh, we're recording this one week after you got the star. Mm. Uh, how was the, the Michelin event? Oh, it was uh, all kinds of emotions. Like, you've got so many chefs there that you've, you know, you know that you know and you've met many times before and got relationships with some you've looked up to I mean some that have inspired you like it's it's, it's a lot really and also um, you're nervous because you're thinking I'm like could we are we is it is it is it are we gonna you know you got an invite but you never know um and then yeah it just felt uh, very humbling to be in a room with so, so many of uh, the, those people and then obviously the event itself was brilliant to be at and I think one of those like quite unique moment obviously us winning a star was just uh it was incredible. I've said, I've always said, like, very weird to see my name. I, I watched it live, by the way, yeah. and you looked, um, you, you looked one very, very happy, yeah. but also incredibly. And I, I don't know why you looked surprised. You had this element of surprise about you, like it's happened. But yeah, it was, it was, it was wonderful to watch. You, looked, yeah, it was, it was really great. Yeah, I think honestly, I've, there's a lot of great restaurants and like out there that I've seen that I thought maybe that they should get a star and they don't and you know I can you respect those decisions and so I think it's just it's something that isn't uh, earning a star isn't just something that uh, I was owed it was something that was given uh, and honoured with and uh, and very much appreciate and respect that and like I say uh, got got a lot of respect for for Michelin Guide or any guide of, of what we're given um, because you know it, it's it, We've worked really, really hard, and we, we've, we're really proud, and it's something we really want to achieve, and we're very proud to achieve it. So, yeah, when it, when your name finally gets called out, like it's just like, oh, just, you just know it's game changing, even game changing for the restaurant, for us as a business. Or so, like it obviously means a lot, but you know, for us as a business, like we know what it will do for us, and and it just means we get to cook for more people, which is what we want to do. Yeah, it's brilliant, and it's the recognition you deserve. But mm. I mean, that's not the 
the only accolade you got is that you were you voted number one restaurant by Square Meal. Square yeah, Meal, yeah. yeah. Which after being open for ten months at the time is just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I would have bitten the hand off for number for number one hundred. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> just to be in there would have been a great, I think, achievement. Number one was just, yeah, it was insane. And again, a very another very very proud moment because in in there, it's not like you're just in amongst some. It's not. It's no Mickey Mouse list. I mean, you're with uh, like you got Unisys in there, more halls in there, like some amazing restaurants. And you know, I, I, you know, I wanted, I'd always want to say with these guys, like they are, they're going out, and that year, these are their favorite restaurants of that year. And it's no way that they're thinking, oh, like oh, now we are the best restaurant. We are way above anybody else. We're in another league. It's not about. I don't. I never really thought of it like that. You know, I think it's a snapshot to that year, and and it's very proud and moment that we've. They've been uh, that they, they feel like we're their, their favourite place to eat in that year. Again, mind blowing moment. Going back to Michelin, you said every major chef is is in that building. Is there is there still a bit of you that gets starstruck in front of certain chefs? Yeah, I think definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to like you know even I saw saw Alain Rue there. Wanted to go and say hello, just just froze up. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and even uh, who else? Was, um, Ellen DeRosa. I've seen Helen DeRosa now three times, and every time, like, uh, I, it's silly. You like, but you you just have a massive respect for them. And I also don't want to go in. They're also on their downtime, and you don't want to intrude on them. But like, also at the same time, right? Like, very honoured to meet them and everything else like that. And, and then also, there's just lots of great great chefs that you want to get introduced to and talk to so it was nice I had a nice chat with Paul Foster and uh, Akhtar uh, who else is there Alex Macamilia uh, Gareth like all from Unis here so again it's great to catch up with people and it's just it's just it's really great how it brings the, the hospitality industry together it, it, it's wonderful yeah mm. this is arguably one of the the best looking restaurants in the country isn't it you're, you're, I remember saying to you on um, one of the opening nights this is like the dream for anybody to come and work in here mm. it's just to have those views and to have this space is just insane yeah and I feel like as well if, if Fiona who's the creative director of Hampton Manor she's the one who's gone is, I always say this is Fiona Unchained because obviously the manor has a particular style and she just knows how to, to model that and she's done an amazing job there. Uh, and this place has just been a place that she's just been able to fully unleash herself. And, and also like as well capture what both Annetta and I have always envisioned in a restaurant is something that crosses the British Scandic uh, look so, so well. It's definitely got that vibe. Mm. And also saw on the, the Michelin notes, that's exactly what they said about this restaurant, wasn't mm. it? So you've nailed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, they uh, British produce with sort of Scandi style cooking. Mm. That's obviously where your your background is, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I mean, well, it's, it's weird. I mean, look, most of my back, background is here. I mean, I was at Pernell's for seven years. I worked with Jason Atherton at Maze by Gordon Ramsay like 16 years ago. I did a week in Chicago, at, uh, Grace, and then my Fuku Co in New York, as well as a tier in New York for a week. And then before going to Relay, so I did a little stint at Relay's in Copenhagen. And then I, was, and then I was in Norway for six years and just under two, I was at MIMO during that time, I went from two to three. So it has massively shaped me. And I think also just um, what has probably inspired me most, but Fafikan and uh, Noma, just in terms of their thinking, it's like never stand still and like taking the ethos and uh, working from an ethos uh, and just keep on building and growing and growing and growing it. 
Yeah, it definitely feels that way in mm. this restaurant. I mean, you've, I think you've nailed it immediately. I think I said to you, first time I met you, actually, the weird one, Maze was one of the first ever good restaurants that I went to. And I, I think I went when you was working there, yeah. which I just find really, really bizarre. Yeah, I think I remember that conversation. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I went to Mayfair to eat specifically at Mays, mm. and I can't remember why. I think it was because it was all, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was one of the first small plate restaurants in the UK. Yeah, he started this idea of, because tasting menus were coming through, but he started, I, th- I might be wrong, to throw the hands up and say, no, no, we didn't, but uh, Jason had this idea of, like, you design your own tasting menu. So they had a set one, if you want to go for that, but they had literally like 15, 16 dishes. You got to create your own little seven, eight course tasting menu. How many, how many courses you is on service here at the moment? 15. 15? <laughs> That's a hell of a lot of work. Yeah, it is. And it, but I think like I've always been concerned. I never want that feeling of like being stuffed. Uh, I want people to be full, obviously, but you don't want to roll out. You want to walk out going, oh, wow, that's, that was delicious. And I feel satisfied. I don't need a... I don't need to go and get a pizza afterwards. Getting that balance, I think, is you know, is another tr- another real challenge. What's your favourite dish on the menu at the moment? Oh, you this is really hard. It's like trying to pick your favourite child. I mean, they've all got like. Oh, you've definitely. So, everyone has a favourite <laughs> child. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we just put on a new pumpkin one, which has been really nice. My CDP Miguel and uh, my head chef John's been brilliant at bringing people on board with. Uh, getting them involved with the development, so they've got their own dishes. And this one was, came through recently. It's organic pumpkin from Bedlam Farm and they've grilled it and then um, this is Miguel's idea it took all our vegetable trimmings like end of onions carrot skins that sort of thing uh, boiled them up strained it and then reduced it to a treacle so it's like vegetable treacle with all the bits you normally throw away and then that's glazed constantly over the pumpkin as it's it's grilling over the barbecue and then it's finished with a little pumpkin seed uh, granola and then dots of lilac pickle which when you smell it you're like that smells like washing up liquid but when taste like when it's balanced into a pickle it's just really sort of very lovely floral essence and then it's finished with a, a mushroom broth that we've then uh, seasoned with riso so rye bread miso effectively obviously we don't grow miso we don't grow soybean here so we make it with rye bread uh, and the nuances in that as, as a seasoning finished with beef fat and uh, oh sorry bone marrow and um, wild garlic and parsley it just makes such a sort of warm, umptious beginning. And the sort of bit of the beauty behind it is right now, yes, it's not exactly pumpkin season, but there's all these farmers that have got loads of pumpkins still left over. So it's our way of trying to just use up the elast of our farmers' pumpkins uh, so they're not going to waste. That's insane. And I also desperately want to try that dish. (laughs) (laughs) So far up my street. You're a very modest guy, but do you think that already this restaurant is kind of creating trends and, and as other restaurants looking up to it because the reason why I say that is after I ate, it's been what, a year or so mm. since you've been opened and when I look at restaurants when I look at menus and stuff I'm, I'd never heard of Garum until we spoke about it mm. and then I'm now seeing various Garums pretty much everywhere mm. across it um, and always in the back of my head I'm like is that is, is that part of what you're doing it, it feels like it feels like chefs are watching you at the moment. Mm. It feels like you're very... It, to, to me, personally, it feels like there are a few chefs in the country that, that other chefs are looking at very, very hard. And to me, it feels like you're one of those. Well, I think that would be pretty bold. I mean, I think, like... I think we've just all bought the Noma Guide to Fermentation. And <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and we're just reading through it and just doing the first few recipes. And, and the, the wonderful that book, thing about the book is it's, it gives you a framework, and that's what it's done. It's given us a framework of like, okay, so I made bread, bread so uh, from it, and I made the beef garum from it. And then from that, we've made other garums because of that. So we made um, a mussel scallop roe and rose garum that goes into our um, scallop dish now. And uh, we've also made a lamb garum. We've got a venison garum going on. Um, and these, and we, we've got them all saved for this year. So then this year's lamb dish will be seasoned with lamb garum. So instead of salt, it's lamb garum. You're seasoning it with lamb, lamb soya sauce, effectively. But there's obviously no soya in it. But uh, are we influencing others? Like, uh, you know, maybe, but I think we're all influencing each other in some respects. Like we're all constantly taking ideas and being inspired. And I think the, the book is so open now on things like Instagram, Twitter, and everything else like that. Like, um, you know, we, I think we all pick up from each other a little bit. And, um, you know, I think it's, um, yeah. I just... That's a really interesting way of saying it. Like the book's open because of social media. Mm. But yeah, it, it does feel like some people take inspiration from looking at social media without ever actually trying those dishes. Mm. But yeah, for for me, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not gonna um, blow smoke up your bottom, but it it, de- <laughs> it definitely feels like people are are, are watching this mm. place, and it, and and also I remember um, reading like the two main articles on people tipping for Michelin stars, mm. and um, it it seemed from the from the officer that anyone who had eaten here was kind of like, yeah, this is mm. th- this is the place. I I said on I said numerous times the. I've I've given up on saying who's going to get a Michelin star in Birmingham because it really upsets other chefs. Mm. Um, but the the only given was that from the second I ate it, I was like, this is at least one star level, mm. at least one star level. Well, thank you. Um, you you brought a couple of stuff for us to try. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just to get a bit of an idea of some of the things we're working on. So this we got an inkling that Grand Fur has this almost like. Um, because you don't use any citrus in the restaurant, so you're always looking for citrus elsewhere. And Grand Fur has an almost like grapefruit kind of vibe to it. Um, so we, I made a little uh, Grand Fur kombucha to, for, you to, uh, for you to try. So you don't use any citrus? No citrus. Sugar? Yes. And that has its... So you can get British Grand Sugar, Yeah. right? And I'm not 100% sure on this. Like, I'm always, like I say, I, uh, we want to get alongside people. It's about bringing conversation, not saying this is right, this is wrong. Because that's what's actually wrong with the world, of going, what po- like polarisation. For me, from the right farm, it's more ethical to use a sugar from Colombia than it is to use British-grown sugar because of the amount of chemicals that goes into making British sugar and the, what British sugar do to farmers and the demands they put on them. You can't grow... Uh, sugar beet organically they won't let you the only reason why you can grow sugar beet is either to sell it back to British sugar or for farmers to use it as animal feed and so it is, it's a real yeah it's a real challenge there so and this is the thing with sustainability you can get wrapped up all day around like people come in here and point 50 things that we're doing wrong it's a journey and it's about working through everything and understanding that we're going we're gonna to get there we're not going to use it as an excuse that we can't get that we can't get everything right but we're going to get there and so like with this this case like we, we don't want to use citrus because a lemon grown in Birmingham is not going to compare to a lemon grown in the Amalfi coast no. so I celebrate what we do best we have loads of trees so if they taste like grapefruit <laughs> I want to use them <laughs> So have a little taste of what you think. Thank you. It definitely has a, a lemony mm. property to it. Mm. But I, 
what I find most amazing about that is the acidity level is so perfectly judged. Mm. So perfectly judged. There's none of that raw acidity to it, and that lets the fruit come through. And I think it's it's beautiful. Mm. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. It begs the obvious question. How how does someone get to the point where they find out that Grandfur tastes like a bit like lemon? I have no idea. I just got that I wasn't the person who was like <laughs> chomping through trees down the forest and like and also when you eat these things, I mean you don't when you taste them, you don't get the initial flavour. Like if you ate uh, a magnolia blossom, right? It's gross, it's a bitterness. You put that into cold infusing into pickle, it's phenomenal. Like we're making forty litres of magnolia vermouth next week because it's just the most delicious thing to drink. So you're making vermouth? Yeah, 40 litres of uh, magnolia vermouth. It's delicious. It's insane. Well, so, and and, it'll, and that'll last, it won't even last us that long, a few months. And that's the thing with this restaurant. Like you, you get stuff, you get really excited by it, and then it's all gone. If you're not aware of what the restaurant does, by the way, it's, um, I think the, the key part of the restaurant is that it, it's set within the beautiful walled gardens at Hampton Manor. But it, it's very much about celebrating British produce, and, and and more so. I remember speaking to James about it before, whilst whilst the restaurant was being built, and James talking about growing stuff in the correct manner. Mm. So it, it, it takes on from, from the wines. You don't use any. Uh, there'd be no fertilizers, or I mean, there'd be nothing bad going on in the products, mm. and and also uh, sustainability is kind of key to what you do. So I remember talking about the. Um, the the people are using Cornwall, mm. who is it line? They only fish by line. Is that correct? Or oh yeah, so one of the fish buyers we work with, Soul of Discretion, only use boats that are ten meters or under. So their standpoint is to get really to truly know that you're working with a boat that doesn't take too much out of the sea. It has to be ten meters or under, and that is literally like a paddling boat. It's tiny. And that's where and that's and they use those boats to get the fish. And they 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 believe that is the only way that you that our seas will survive and we'll keep on going because at this rate, we're going to be all jellyfish by like, I mean, one number a long time ago was 2050 will be all jellyfish, um, which isn't that far away. Um, and I don't want to cook jellyfish. I'm sure jellyfish... I'm jellyf- sure jellyfish is, is, is tasty though, if, if you did it correctly. Oh, jellyfish garum, definitely. I jellyfish like, garum. Yeah. <laughs> jellyfish kombucha. <laughs> jellyfish kombucha, yeah. <laughs> I think we'll. Uh, I don't really want to get onto that yet, but yeah, I mean, and um, and they they have personal relationships with the diver, uh, with the boat boat people. We send them pictures of our food, and they send them to the the fishermen, and it feels feels so much more of a relationship, uh, which I just think is, is is key. Relationship in these in the supply chain is just what ends up getting lost because it's all on about efficiency, getting it on the computer screen, like oh, that 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 that, and trying to cut out the. But where does it come from? Oh, don't don't ask about that. Like. It's there. It's what your customers want. Your guests want to eat. That's right, it, and it, it's seasonal as well. I mean, you're, you're you're taking stuff that's supposed to be eaten at that point mm. because it, it's it's what you do best here. Mm. It's um yeah, incredible. Do you, you see? There's another product as well. Oh there. yeah. So I've got a load of um, walnuts from one of our farmers, Billy in Shropshire. He's like phenomenal man. He just only grows things for flavour. That's all he does. Is uh, is grow things. So he has these raspberries that taste like, vani- like vanilla custard. But because they grow so low to the ground, no one grows them. So he, but he preserves them, so he has a small patch of them. And his walnuts are phenomenal. So 
This is made with black walnuts. So we took walnuts, and you have to get them at the, uh, the wet stage, which is in September, before you dry them to make roasted walnuts, which we more commonly eat. And you uh, cook them in the oven at 60 degrees for three months. And they're like, <laughs> it's delicious. And then they come out like this. It comes out like a, a, a toffee. Like they come out like toffee, these walnuts. And then, obviously, at this point, I get very excited about the walnut. What are we going to do with the walnuts? My head chef, Johnny, was like, we should make a syrup with the shells. And this is what we got. It and tastes it, like black walnuts. Mm, but in a very sort of pleasant way. Like, if you eat a black walnut, it's a bit much. You're like, we shouldn't do this. I love them. Yeah. But when as a drink like this, it's become so much more... That's... That, like that. Mm. That might be my new favourite thing ever. <laughs> I really, really, really love pickled walnuts. Really? I love them. There's so much, so much more kinder on your liver as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just drinking, well, the, the sugar might ruin you, but... <laughs> yeah, mix it with gin. Delicious. <laughs> there we go. I'll get, get in touch. That, that feels like that should be used in a cocktail. Mm. We're working towards our non-alcoholic pairing. But again, also for cocktails and stuff like that. So we're trying to um, step up on that side of things. To kind of, it's it's reflecting both sides of of what goes on food-wise and in the drinks. When you're not cooking in here, uh, where's your favourite places to eat? So obviously, just moving over from Norway, I've I'm still <laughs> catching up really. In the, in the months of that, in the two just in the two years I've been here, I've mainly been in this restaurant. But I've always got a love for Pennells. But Glenn's been my mentor for much of my, my life, and uh, I've always loved place. Carter's I went to uh, not so long ago. Great food there. Curry houses. I know I want to expand a little bit more right, and get to know a bit more. But I've been to. Where did we go to the other day? Raj Monkey had a great, great curry there. That oh, was really yeah. delicious. Uh, I had a um, oxtail uh, curry. It was, it was amazing. But I would more talk about the ones that I'm excited about. I really want to get over to Bonehead because I've heard nothing but amazing things about, uh, about Bonehead. Bonehead's Very, excellent. Yeah. You know, props where props is. I think they, for, for ages, I kind of whinged incessantly about no one in Birmingham being anywhere near the level that Chicken Sours was in mm. London. And um, every time I go to Bonehead, they get better and better and better and better and better. And I think it's really cool to see someone who's effectively taking that kind of... Uh, it, it's not fast food, I mean, it's, it's junk food, but, but that, that refusal to sit still mm. and to constantly want to do better mm. at that level is, I think, is just is fantastic. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Like, uh, I mean, that's it. I say, this is all over here is about, uh, comments like that about the place. And, and it's... I think there's. I think that's also the thing. Like coming back, I feel a bit overwhelmed by the Birmingham food scene. I, I left, and there was some some good places, but a lot of chains, and it was uh, and and less of like bonehead uh, boneheads or original patty men or anything like that. It was, but now there's a lot more independence of doing like exciting casual food that you just you just want to eat lots of. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chances Cafe. Yakuchi. Yakuchi, yeah. I haven't been there yet. It sounds amazing. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Harborn Kitchen, I've been there yet. I've heard great things. I'll get you lunch at Harborn Kitchen. All right, yeah. I live, I live literally two minutes away yeah, from there. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's a deal then. It's a deal. But yeah, it's like, I, I mean, I can list them all day and I would hate to miss somebody out, but I haven't, I haven't tried it. But even, you know, I've heard the great things about Cray at 670 and... Uh, yeah, obviously stew here and smoke, food. I love his food. It's definitely somewhere I've eaten a couple of times. And I think probably the place I've eaten the most has been Early Bird Cafe. Done brunch in that place so many times. Absolutely love it. Delicious, great cakes. My daughter has a, has a field day in there. Uh, so if anyone can handle Henny, it's always, 
I'm always in. Oh, it, early bird is phenomenal. Mm. I, just the attention to detail he's got for yeah. in, in terms of just doing cakes is just insane. Yeah, I, it's the strongest cake game in Birmingham. Mm. I, de- I, de- I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. and but then even as a brunch, like I always have their like chorizo patty burger type thing with. Uh, they change the dressings a lot and what goes in there, but it's it's always delicious. Or the fried chicken one, delicious. So yeah, it great, really really great place. That is something that. I would probably never put in my body. And if that's all you're interested in, dear listener. I thought that was sweet corn. <laughs> I tell you what, it is what it is. What a guy and what a restaurant. I, for one, can't wait to get those tasty, tasty jellyfish inside my belly. And I bet they pair great with matcha tea. Now on to Tommy Matthews of Passing Fancies again. Arguably Brum's best place for mixed drinks. Tommy's reputation is huge in the industry and was described by someone in London last week to me as a fucking good bartender. And he is, except when I turn him armed with a bag of rubbish and ask him to make us a drink. Tommy, do you want to let us know what's in the bag? All right, bag number two, let's go. Um, so we have, <laughs> we have ye old faithful Jägermeister. <laughs> oh shit, the bed, okay, fine. We have Aid. So straight away, I'll have a Jägerbomb, please. Oh honey, you're getting that so wrong. <laughs> That's the wrong energy drink. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, I don't know, let's change it. Let's, let's take it from Red Bull. Uh, the LucasAid is going on the back bar. That is absolutely not been used. Oh, we have something soft. And we have bacon crisps. Okay, um, we can keep that. that. That was a gift to me a few days ago, and um, actually from somebody who doesn't eat pork. Oh, wow. Well, these things, it literally says on them, vegan. Yeah. All right, next up, we have got... <laughs> We've got chocolate-flavoured milk. Chocolate. You a fan of chocolate milk? Yeah, do you know what, actually? Funny enough, those two last bits. That's a killer hangover cure for me, hey? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go down to co-op with the dog and I'll pick up some bacon rashes, some sort of dip and some chalky milk, and then I'll just watch Better Call Saul all day. <laughs> Does your dog have an Instagram account? So he did, yeah. But he did, yeah. My, uh, my beautiful wife, she logged onto it, and this is when Instagram was cracking down on their age restrictions. We got all this, yeah, it had like thousands of followers and you know, loads of lovely photos of our dog, but she put the dog's date of birth in. <laughs> Which is obviously like a year and a half old. What, what's the wife's name, Tommy? <laughs> uh, Erica Matthews, she works at the shoe, go give a shit. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, we're forever locked out, we can't get back in now. Anyway, last bottle. It's actually Kahlua. Uh, coffee liqueur. Ooh. Yeah, sorry, coffee liqueur for- Yeah, it's not. Of- it's not, uh, it's not Mr. Black's, is it? No, I mean, it's not brand bashing, because sure this fills a gap in the market, but I mean, if you had a night on Kahlua, I'm pretty sure you'd get diabetes before you got drunk. <laughs> We're actually going to do something with those four. Hey, like the LucasAid's the only one that didn't make the cut. Cool. What you got in mind? I don't know. Hey, there's actually a wicked bar down in London called Murder Inc. And they do a drink, right? And it's like a take on a Ramos Gin Fizz. And it's bonkers, because it's like, you know, Jägermeister, banana, like, and then they top it with like an imperial stout. Like, it's a mad drink and it shouldn't work, but every time I go down there, I have it. This is just naughty. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna use the liquid ingredients and then we're actually gonna put some bacon crispies in the tin, shake it all together. We're gonna fine strain it out over a block like you've just had. And hopefully it's like this like, Almost like bacony, herbal, chocolate, coffee, milk situation. Uh, I'm, I'm part intrigued and part mortified. I actually, I'm quite excited. Let's give it a I go. Like, I don't see why it wouldn't work in my head. 
So, like, bacon's actually been used in drinks for a while. There's a bar in New York called Please Don't Tell, and they're, uh, they're famous for making uh, the, the Benton's Old Fashioned, and that's where they fat wash. Been, been there. Yeah, 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 wicked, through uh, Criff Dogs, right? PDT, through the, um, yeah. through the phone box in, in, uh, in the... In the dogs, hot, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a wicked lot. It's full of taxidermy and yeah. weird things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in it, in it. Classic Larissa. Ryan, Ryan Reynolds <laughs> was in Please Don't Tell when I was in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you know what? If I have two people that I think if I went for a beer with that are celebrities, I think we'd get on. Ryan Reynolds and, and Vince me. Vaughan. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, celebrity, honey. Come on. All right. So, anyway, drinks. Uh, fuck me, Jägermeister. <laughs> oh, God. We're going to actually go with a solid 35 mil of Jägermeister which is probably the most amount of Jägermeister anyone's ever used in a drink. We'll build this to 50 mil, so we'll build this to a, like a double shot level of, of cocktail. We're gonna use 50 mil of Kahlua, 15, sorry, mil of Kahlua. So 35 plus 15 for the uh, mathletes of uh, they're, they're both quite low a ABV drinks, aren't they? They're what, they're mid-20s? Uh, nah, Jäger's 35, and then uh, Kahlua is, yeah, Kahlua's only 20%. But yeah, I mean, if you wanted to buy more premium spirits for my bags, then I could have a higher ABV. Hey, <laughs> hey we're on a budget here. <laughs> let's go with let's go with an ounce of chocolate milk. So we're going to do thirty ml of chocolate milk. Thank you for the co our local cooperative. Uh, co-op. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'm a big co-op fan. Uh, supermarkets and uh, funerals. <laughs> yeah, so we've gone for thirty ml of the chocolate milk. All right, guys. Fresh pack of bacon crisps, let's try one, you know. I know your ingredients. I'm gonna put two in, and I'm actually, I'm gonna bump the chalky milk up to 50 mil. Two? Do you think you'll get enough bacon flavor off two yeah. bacon crispers? I think you're underestimating the, um, the, <laughs> the power of the bacon crispy here. Okay, okay, based on, based on your recommendation, we're gonna put one more in. All right, let's go, yeah. I'd, li I'd like, uh, in this cocktail, I'd like the bacon note to be an underlying. I, as Delisol said, three is the magic number. <laughs> three is the magic number, absolutely true. All right, so we're just gonna give this a shake and hope to... Talking of Delisol, you're, um, uh, you're a huge hip-hop fan, aren't you? Sorry, I'm 31 now, I can't multitask. <laughs> yeah, I am. Like, hip-hop's been quite a big part of my life for, for a long time. I um, grew up skateboarding. My dream was to be a professional skateboarder and own my own skate shop, obviously with injuries. And then you get to a certain age and you find women and booze and, you know, it all goes one way. <laughs> um, but yeah, now nah, hip-hop, I'm, um, I'm from a little town outside of Hull in East Yorkshire. It's not a very culturally... culturally diverse corner of the UK. So where all my friends were listening to, in the, I mean, the early 2000s, it was, what was it? Blink 182, Funeral for a Friend. Like, they were all like, oh, my heart. The emo kids. Yeah, I, I found solace in, in, you know, like Nas, like Jay-Z, even Jurassic 5, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm a, and that's what the playlist is here, is, is it's unapologetically hip-hop. <laughs> the playlist is insanely good. Yeah, and it's, it's not like insanely good. It's 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 and it switches from hip hop to a bit of funk, a bit of soul, a bit of jazz. But yeah, it's very uh, inspired by. So that's going for a fine sieve now. Yeah, yeah. So we just we just shake it. I just um, shook it in a cocktail shaker, and it's now going through a fine sieve just to catch all those delightful bacon. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look bad. Do you know what? It looks all right. 
So the I reason... think that's your fancy ice cubes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Essential Ice, Mr. Doug Bowden, for, for hooking <laughs> us up with our, with our immaculately clear ice blocks. But yeah, so the reason I actually like went for this is because, I mean, at the be-all and end-all, there's nothing that's going to split the milk. There's no acidity, there's obviously no heat, but it's all going to emulsify quite nicely together. So, um, I don't know, let's give it a go. Oh, it's, it's viscous, hey? Go on, go on. I want, uh, <laughs> I, want the, I want the verdict. Firstly, it's not a bad drink. Secondly, we could have upped the bacon fries. I did say this. <laughs> it tastes like a Jägermeister iced coffee with a bit of bacon in the background. Can, can <laughs> confirm that's absolutely delicious. <laughs> that's insanely delicious. And because we fine strained it out, the texture is wicked. You've, you've got the texture from the chocolate milk. Obviously, there is sugar content in Jäger and in Kahlua. So it's going to be quite, it's going to be quite a thick drink, almost milkshake-esque. If that goes on the menu, <laughs> uh, we, we want full credit and therefore you'll call it the prick. <laughs> I'll call it, no, I'll call it the thick prick. <laughs> I can't help but feel the name thick prick was inspired by spending time with me. If you want to make it at home, that's chocolate milk, frazzles, kahula and Jager. What a great combination. Now we finish up this episode by meeting up with Dan Sweet of Qbox in Harborn. Qbox is a takeaway of kind, where Dan makes everything from scratch, drawing upon his Michelin-starred background. How are you, Dan? Yeah, not bad for a Monday morning. For a Monday morning, yeah. So if you was to kind of explain very briefly what Qbox is, how would you describe it? We're a takeaway that sells good food. Good food. So everything's made in-house. Essentially, that's probably more to the point. Yeah, you make your own brioche buns for the yeah, burgers. Yeah, brioche, bread, desserts, pastries. We, we essentially want to just serve good food because I think there's just a lot of shit. And, yeah, it's not, it's not exactly cheap, do you know what I mean? And you end up buying stuff that literally tastes of nothing. Yeah, I think there is that. The market is quite oversaturated at the moment. Um, so it's nice to see someone who's still putting stuff on the menu, you know, in and around the £10 mark, which is what you'd expect from pretty much anywhere at the moment, where you're making everything from scratch. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's not like, you know, we're not expensive. We're kind of the same as everybody else, really. You know, and for what we're actually putting out, it's good value for money, really. What can people expect on the menu here? So we do a little bit of everything, really, which is a bit insane. Um, but yeah, so we do, um, so we do like brunchy type things. Uh, we've got a salt beef bagel on. We make the bagels, we make the salt beef, and we make the glaze. We've got our take on a croque monsieur, which is basically a toasted cruffin, again, which we make. Um, we'd like poached gammon, English mustard, beche, chives, served with uh, pickled cucumber and dill. And then we do stuff like southern fried chicken burger mac and cheese bites jalapeno jam um, and then we've got like snacks like the smoked deep fried potatoes coriander we do a few barbecue specials which we do for dinner and then like desserts bread cruffins so too much basically is the answer to that too, question the answer is too much <laughs> too, do you have a do you have a personal favorite on the menu probably the croc if i had to say at the moment i like eating that the croc is, is one of my go-tos, as you know. I, I eat a lot of the croc um, because I do. I, I really, yeah, you do love I, the croc. I do yeah. love the croc. I'm, I'm well known yeah. for my love of croc. Yeah, um, I'm quite um, partial as well <laughs> on a weekend. <laughs> the, um, 
a little bit of your a little bit of your background. So people who eat here know they can ex- the quality they can expect, but I think it's perhaps lost a little bit on some people that that actually you're 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 quite seriously trained, aren't you? Yeah. So. Um the great thing about my training was I started at Simpsons with no training whatsoever. So I didn't actually know what a service was uh, when I started at Simpsons. So it was, um, yeah, it was a year and a half of getting shouted at until it actually all kind of clicked. And for, for me, you know, it's, this is what food should be. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's a piece of toast you know, bacon down to bloody pom souffles, dauphinoise, fillet steak, whatever it is, you know, for me, it should all be cooked a certain way with the same amount of love. Do you know what I mean? So that's basically what my food is, is attention to detail. And there's a respect for the ingredients, isn't mm, there? Yeah, mm. I know that you're... Um I know that your, your grandparents lived on a farm in Italy. Mm. And that's where you used to spend a lot of your summer. Yeah, so I was quite spoiled, really. So I first, first went over to Italy when I was eight. So my family's got a farm in the south of Italy. So we'd have, like, sheep, chickens, rabbits, goats, and then acres and acres and acres of land. So, you know, olive trees, um, vineyards be figs everywhere plums so everything you could imagine it was all grown by us so I was quite spoilt really as an eight-year-old being able to literally just pick figs climb fig trees with my nan which I do remember my nan actually being able to climb higher than me at you're, about you're... 60 so yeah <laughs> quite, quite a bendy nan yes she's 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 not so bendy now unfortunately um bless her <laughs> Yeah, but she is nearly 80 now, so it's, it's no excuse. Right, so we, we have a bit of an exclusive coming up. I, I, I know that there's a Kickstarter happening in the next week or so, which we're going to launch. Yeah, so basically, I think we, we made quite a few mistakes at the start of the business, but we literally just had to roll with it. Um, and one of those was the concept in itself it wasn't very obvious kind of what we were doing it's quite different so yeah basically what we've decided to do is turn it into a restaurant so in the day we want to do just nice and relaxed brunch fresh pastries coffee cakes and then of a night time we want to do um, we're going to do like an a la carte menu and a five course choice and then on a Sunday we're going to do like a really good Sunday lunch but essentially what we want to kind of do with everything is you know offer all the extras so you know we want to do like bread canapes even if you're ordering a Sunday lunch you know the same with the three course so we don't want to just say oh yeah we're only doing tasting menu it's 110 pound a head we want to kind of be in the middle of the road so kind of you know you don't have to spend £100 per person you can come in have three courses and still have an amazing experience by having you know the canapes your bread all that kind of so do you like to fill that kind of middle market that's so desperately missing in Birmingham yeah for me I, you know unless you go kind of high end you go Michelin you go you know somewhere where you are spending like 80 to 120 pound a head middle of the road's pretty shit 
you know what I mean? And you, you're spending like t- between 20 and 40 pound per person and what you're getting is absolute shit. Fair. You know, no, no seasoning, no thought. For me, you know, the people that are cooking this atrocious food should kind of give up being chefs. I think this is a bit where we insert some gunshots. <laughs> yeah, they're... Boo, 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 that, that, that kind of one, yeah. So anyone who backs your Kickstarter, what kind of rewards are they... You're looking to get on that? So we're putting lots, lots of different tiers together um, at the moment, just so it kind of appeals to, to anyone, really. The kind of the baseline is like the founder's wall. So it's £10 per person, um, and you get your name on the founder's wall. You can also donate a name. And then we've, we've obviously got the, the other higher tiers. Um, so we're going to be doing... You'll be able to rent out the whole space so you can book box for the day for private parties etc oh, that's incredible thanks ever so much for your time I really appreciate it pleasure and um, if you haven't tried Dan's Croc um, <laughs> please do come in and ask for Dan's Croc because I can assure you his Croc tastes amazing <laughs> I've just seen what you've just whipped out oh that is so bad if you want to back that Kickstarter, uh, the Kickstarter will be live in a couple of weeks' time. Please keep an eye on all of Qbox's social medias. Coming up next week, we chat beer in Purecraft and delve into the world of street food. As ever, if you could please like and subscribe it and leave a lovely five-star review, I'll be forever in your debt. This is the Meat and One Veg podcast. I'm Simon Carlo. It's 969 Media Production, produced by Simon Boschowski. I've eaten many a pepperoni in the back of that section. <laughs> everyone wonders why you are who you are. <laughs> I'm a fucking great guy. <laughs> Simon Carlo, we do it. <laughs>